Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Kyle Kara. Well, um, man, uh, I went into week six feeling a little bit disappointed about all the quarterback injuries that we had. Felt mm-hmm. like, you know, no KJ Jefferson, um, no Will Levis, which we found out uh, about that after like a couple hours after we had recorded on Wednesday, credit to Kentucky for keeping it under wraps as long as it mm-hmm. possibly could. And then obviously Bryce young wasn't considered um, likely to play and then doesn't end up playing at all. as kind of like this emergency quarterback, but not really. And he's dressed out there and even in a game in which Alabama had to fight for its life. You knew that Bryce young wasn't going to come in and play, even though he tried to petition Saban to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So all of those things happen. And I still found myself at the end of Saturday night saying, wow, um, that's set up for some some wildness on what just turned out to be a very entertaining Saturday in the SEC, wherein every single team was in action. And the fact that we had backup quarterbacks playing, AM and Alabama, both playing backup quarterbacks, according to Jimbo Fisher in his postgame press conference, because when you start a guy mm-hmm. week one of the 2021 season and of the 2022 season, but he gets benched because he's ineffective in your offense. You get to call him a backup quarterback. If you're Jimbo Fisher, you get to play that card. <laughs> Actually. So I made the wrong decision twice, but now I got to make this. decision. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, we're going to get to that in, in a second here. We're going to get to all the madness and the non madness of week six, because I shouldn't make it seem like everything was this down to the wire, entertaining, um, you know, fun filled slate because there were a few duds in there that we're going to have to dig into. Mm-hmm. But before we do all of that, Got to talk to you about our friends at Texas Pete. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That's all one word, all caps, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, so AM Alabama. Will, is it fair to say that I try and understand all viewpoints that are within reason? Yeah, no, I think so. Almost to a fault sometimes. I feel like you give people yes. lots of credit. I, I Yes, uh, to a fault, 100%. And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll listen. I am the person that when somebody with um, almost anything comes to my door, I'll sit there and I'll at least give them 30 seconds of my time. I shouldn't do mm-hmm. that, but I do. I, I can't help myself. I want to just, I. it's not that I'm like some, oh, I'm into like, you know, wild conspiracy theories or anything like that. I just want to make sure that I have considered any and all possibilities before I have totally shut the door and then being able to settle into how I see things and how I view the world. All right. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, I still not can. I, I just cannot believe Jimbo Fisher's play call on the two yard line with a chance to beat the number one team in the country and knowing, knowing A&M, um, I mean, Jimbo probably would have gotten a new contract with this. So we're talking about potentially a hundred million dollars extra in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to listen to our guy, Chris Doring, talk about the play design, which if you haven't seen it, if you went to bed early on Saturday night or something like that, you assumed that AM and Bama was going to be a blowout. It wasn't go, go look at the internet, go look at that last play. It's everywhere. The play call with Evan Stewart on the comeback route and mm-hmm. 
CD talked about how he broke off the route too early and that the play call was actually good and it was well-intentioned. I was going to say, where was the comeback to that comeback, right? Yes. Great point. Well, great point. Very important part of, of, of that route, that, that just overall design of what you're asking a quarterback and receiver to do in that spot. As much as I love CD, and I do, and I respect his understanding of the receiver position, I really do. I wholeheartedly disagreed with that because of the spot that Evan Stewart and Haynes King were in to execute that spot in that moment, knowing the game was on the line with such a low percentage play. And I know we play the results with this. I know we do. But this was just a dud of a play call, just an absolute failure on all fronts from Jimbo Fisher. Mm -hmm. Evan Stewart is clearly the primary target, and we know that. Because afterwards, if you read what Tuscaloosa News put out there and, and Terry and Arnold, the defensive back who was on Evan Stewart, the true freshman, he said that he literally watched Jimbo Fisher say, Evan, Evan, Evan. <laughs> and he knew that Evan Stewart, the guy that he's lined up across in press coverage, is getting the football in that spot. And there's no way that Haynes King was considering any of those other three options to be able to catch that football. Keep in mind, Evan Stewart, in addition to being a true freshman who was brilliant in this game, by the way, looked like the five-star that he is. Give that kid all the credit in the world. How he came down with that ball that was double coverage to be able to keep that drive going at the end of the game, I have no idea that guy can jump out of the gym. He's great. He's sub six feet. He's 175 pounds in press coverage in that spot. And keep in mind that this is the final play of the game. In all likelihood... And you could say Bama bias. Oh, the SEC officials, they just love, you know, they love Bama. The, the official oh, officers. Man, if you're saying that after this game, I have never seen a conspiracy. Like, if you told me these referees had money on Texas AM, I would have believed it. Because the fact so I don't need to throw you off your thing, but when we saw that flag hit the ground at the end of the game, I was like, as an LSU fan, this is what my dreams look like. Great point. This is the call that and it was kind of like not that like, it was not that rough of a call. Like it was it was shocked, but I was like, oh my gosh. The BAM interception actually- is what you're referring to, wherein they called the pass interference. They call the pass interference on Bama, or they call the hold. I can't remember what it was in the end zone, and it's a late flag that comes in there. And it's not yep. quite Miami Ohio State Fiesta Bowl, but it's a late flag to be able to extend the game when Bama thought it was over. Yes, yes, and you see Bama kind of like on the field already, and they're like, "Hold on a minute, folks!" And yes. the DB is like celebrating. You're like, "Oh my gosh, if AM was going to win this game, this is what it would look like." Yes, and then they did that. To your point, so final play of the game. You're probably going to get away with a little bit more if you're a defensive back in this spot. I think that's fair mm-hmm. to say. I don't care if you're playing for Alabama. I don't care if you're playing for New Mexico State. It's probably going probably to be the case. Guys are going to be a little bit more physical in that spot. So Evan Stewart in that, running that comeback route, if you want to call it that, he breaks on the route and comes back to the ball at a place where even if he catches this bullet from Haynes King, He's not even going to be able to get into the end zone. And I hated the design on every single level. And CD's point was, if Stewart gets deeper into his route, he's got a chance to make a play. Okay, remember, again, you're asking a true freshman without any sort of size advantage to get separation in that spot. And even if he does, even if he does, King's throw has to be so on the money in time to perfectly because a fraction too early and the ball is by him before he turns around and if it's too late that's getting broken up anyways by a defensive back whose experience is going to be playing that play and understanding hey oh by the way i know that you're getting the football the route and the throw were both off 
but it was always going to be a high degree of difficulty to give AM a chance. And I know you see Johnny Manziel tweeting about it. Take that for what it is. You know, of course, AM frustrated. And you should be. If you're an AM fan, you have every right to feel frustrated. Okay. You do. It felt like that play was just a microcosm for Jimbo's passing offense this year and really last year, right? I mean, mm-hmm. consider what Jimbo's offense was gifted on Saturday night. And that's why this context is so important and why if you're just telling yourself, ah, you know what, we got close in a game that we weren't expected to be close and it was in Tuscaloosa, consider this. No Bryce Young, obviously. Mm-hmm. Guy started 20 consecutive games. He hasn't missed a start in his career since taking over for Mac Jones as the starter in 2021. You've got a talented but clearly raw quarterback in his first career start, Jalen Milrow. Mm-hmm. And it showed because every single time that pocket collapsed, it felt like Diggs had his hand on the ball, which is a problem because if you're a quarterback and you don't have two hands on the ball, that football is coming out. Welcome to the mm-hmm. SEC. But Bama turned the ball over four times. They missed two kicks. Will Reichert? If you had a, a kick to win that game and you're depending on Will Reichert, he ain't winning it. He wasn't. He couldn't hit anything at the end of that game. They also committed, again, the brutal defensive pass interference to give AM a chance late on a play that nah, AM's not complete. They're not. They, they just weren't. But instead, they get sort of a bailout in that spot. And yet, AM ends the game with that to finish the night with 20 points, four turnovers, two missed kicks. And you have 20 points missed opportunity in every single way. And we are having such a different conversation. If Jimbo calls anything other than what that play probably was hand the ball off to Devon a chain and you probably get a different reaction. I mean, seriously, at least you're giving the ball to your best player in that spot. And maybe you can make the argument. All right. Evan Stewart was the best player down the stretch. They had kind of bottled up what they were doing with a chain. All right. Or whatever. Still. To have that call in that spot when you're being paid that kind of money, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Unacceptable. And I, I felt for AM fans. I know like everybody likes to have their fun with AM fans and they're, you know, people say they're in a cult, whatever. I don't care who you are in that spot. If you watch your team do that when you got a chance to beat Alabama, that just sucks. It just sucks. If AM had won that game, it would have been Bama's first home loss to a non-top 15 team since the Louisiana Monroe game, 2007. Man, that's a stat. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's what we're talking about here. Jimbo would have had two in a row against Saban, something that only Les Miles and Hugh Freeze could claim, right? At least since Saban's been at Bama. Yeah, I don't know. It was on the best company, but you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo blew it. And I, I, was, I was speechless. And all right, that's – wasn't really speechless. I wrote 1,200 words. What did you say about that? What did you say about that? 1,200 word column about it. You know, we're talking about it here today. But I just get so frustrated listening to Jimbo. I, I do. I, I I might be out on Jimbo after this. I truly might be be out. And I, I'm listening to him talk about, you know, it's no excuses because both teams are dealing with injuries, which I'm like, all right, yeah, I get it. You're, you're banged up on the left side of your offensive line. No and I Smith out there, so that's your go-to pass catcher. And ideally, Jimbo probably wanted Max Johnson to be starting in a game like this. Totally understand it. You know, Max Johnson, Bryce Young, two equal SEC starting quarterbacks, so I would say. That was the part that killed me. Jimbo saying, we were playing with a backup quarterback too, made me want to dry heave. Because if you actually think 
that your team is under the same set of circumstances and you're having to adjust in the same way that Alabama is without the Heisman Trophy winner, the guy that's put on his cape time and time again for this Alabama team. And I'm not even making excuses for Alabama, but if you're trying to say like, oh yeah, everybody's working through adversity in that spot and just it's the same, the, the drop-off from Bryce Young to Jalen Milrow is the same as Max Johnson to Haynes King, like Haynes King, the guy that's been your opening day starter twice. Get out of here. Yeah, not to belabor that point, but you have a quarterback who can't throw being replaced by a quarterback who, well, a quarterback who can't throw and can run a little bit being replaced by a quarterback who can neither run nor throw versus the best quarterback in Alabama history being replaced by a quarterback who keeps fumbling. (laughs) Like, like just to be honest with you, and Milrow had like an up and down game. He had some really, 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 really good spots in this game. I'm not here to dump on the kid, but it's like you have a guy who consistently takes care of the football and makes the right play being replaced by a guy who is a turnover machine versus two mid quarterbacks. <laughs> two guys that have not even shown they can be like two of the better, like two decent quarterbacks in the SEC. Like exactly. with all due respect to Max Johnson, I, I think we know his his limitations at this point, and we saw his limitations in AM's offense. Mm-hmm. Jimbo just spins, he spins, and he spins, and I cannot stand it. I, I just can't. AM has he also sounds like an auctioneer. Like you feel the words coming out of his mouth at 100 miles an hour, and you're just like, Jimbo, relax. I don't need to be sold this right just now. Chill. Like, I don't, I don't need to. What, what, are, what are you selling? Like, ha- have some humility in this moment and understand that 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 that's that sucked to watch your program just go through that and just have have a moment. And I, I get it. You got to put on a brave face. You're the face of the program. You're the CEO. You can't stand it. Sometimes there. I just have to put on a brave face, like Michael Scott, and defend my horrible like. Jimbo ain't saying that. He's not. He's not. You realize, consider this. AM has yet to score more than 24 points against FBS competition this year in five games. Well, it's not like I, for a second I thought you said power five. I was about to no, say no, 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 great no. against a group of six competition either. Anyway. No, we're we're including App State in that category. Which should help him, but buddy. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't. And you know what? I feel bad because that AM defense, you know what? Those those guys played their tails off. They absolutely mm-hmm. did. And you credit them. And even Walter Nolan putting his head on the football to be able to force that free from Jace McClellan, the five-star true freshman. And, and these guys, like, you, you, if you're an AM fan, you're like, it was great to kind of see those guys grow up. And I, I get all that. And it was. And mm-hmm. and if you're selling yourself on the future, you're selling yourself on what you saw on Saturday night from your very young, talented team. But then you're reminded that you still have Jimbo Fisher. And I think that that's just a really tough pill to swallow. It, it, it is. And I, I I am just so frustrated with so many things about Jimbo Fisher. And you, I, the, the picture that I ran in my column is this, which shot at USA Today. Um, we have a subscription. I'm not stealing pictures. I promise you. Um, Jimbo's holding on to like six play sheets. And you're like, you have all those plays sitting there. And mm-hmm. and that's what it was. That was that was the call that you, that you drew up with the game on the line, with a win that people would have been talking about as part of your legacy for maybe ever. I mean, and and instead, that's that's what you have. So again, it's just a golden opportunity blown. It, it is in every sense. But Alabama, eighth time in eleven SEC games since the start of twenty twenty one, and since the start of twenty twenty one in which it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. SEC Network had this stat, too. Um, first time beating multiple unranked teams by five points or fewer since 2008. 
Mm-hmm. All in all, I think we can say Alabama's a pretty vulnerable team when Bryce Young is not out there. If, if you were wondering, hey, is this team going to be good enough to be kind of one-dimensional? I thought they would be good enough to be one-dimensional and still control the tempo of this game. I thought we were going to see Jameer Gibbs, Jalen Milrow, that one-two punch kind of take over and they'd be fine. And maybe without the turnovers, it would have been a different story. They convert some of those kicks. We're talking about this game in an entirely different way, but that didn't happen. It just mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, by the way, Will Anderson, I think Will Anderson had like a dozen pressures in this game. I don't think he had a sack, but I'm pretty sure he had about a dozen pressures because every single time Haynes King dropped back, it's like, oh yeah, Will Anderson is in my in my left ear right now and I need to get rid of this football. That's why oh, he doesn't get sacks too. They threw, They showed a slow-mo of him just like running unblocked through the B-gap at one point. It looked like a Scooby-Doo villain. It was yeah. as if he was like an adult playing against children. He just ran through the line like Michael Myers. And you just see Haynes King's eyes get huge. And he's like, ah! And he does the thing where he's running. He's like running in place. You know, Shag and Scoob would run in place before they start. <laughs> feet are like, when they're not moving forward, but they're yeah. running. That's literally what he did through the ball away. Yes. Do you know how many times I tried to run like that as a kid and then realized this isn't a thing? This is just <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Physics don't work this way. Yes, yeah. me too. Will, Will Anderson somehow is able to do that. He is apparently just a cartoon character because he impacted that game in so many different ways. And if you're like, oh, Will Anderson didn't earn any sacks, AM contained him again. No, no, no. If no, you no. watch that game, I'll know what no, you no. saw that. Yeah. No, go back and watch that game. Um, Alabama just continues to be a really good team with flaws. Mm-hmm. They're not a perfect team. They, they are not. And week to week, it's going to be a little bit tough. And they're going to have to dig deep in some of these games. That's going to continue to be the case, whether or not they get Bryce Young back. Um, it would have been fascinating to watch Bryce Young come in in the middle of the fourth quarter of this game like he was trying to ask Saban to be able to do. That would have been the, incredible. The, the Edwin Diaz flutes. Bryce Young just starts walking in. And everyone's like, oh, no. That's, that's was, a baseball reference there for those who aren't playing attention. But we got a lot of Braves fans who, who probably yeah. understand. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the Mets. Yikes. They need it. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, this setup for Bama, Tennessee is incredible. Chris yep. Lowe had the stat first time since 1989 that Bama and Tennessee will face each other as undefeated teams. I'm assuming that Bryce Young is going to be playing. Assuming that, even though Bryce didn't throw in warmups, I got to imagine they were just trying to be able to get out of there with a victory, not put him in harm's way. And just hope and pray that he was going to be ready to go because if I don't have him going to that game in Knoxville, man, that's interesting. But I think they will have him back based on the signs that we've seen so far. We'll kind of wait and see, barring any sort of setback. And, I mean, after what Tennessee did at LSU, which we're going to get to in a second here. Oh, boy. There uh, they're deserves to be off the charts hype. I, I've been one of the people in the past that said, like, all right, let's 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 chill here. Let's not. Let's not overreact to Tennessee winning a few games early in the season. 2016, I was that guy. I was like, all right, they're they're holding on for dear life here. They're they're not playing particularly well. Let's not pretend like this team is just some team of destiny that's going to pull off a 2013 Auburn-like run. This Tennessee team is a little bit different. This matchup against Alabama is a little bit different, and we're going to have a lot more conversation about that. Will, any other thoughts about Bama, about AM, Jimbo, Saban, Bryce, anything? Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> all the thoughts. So many. Uh, so I just want to say this too. Okay. This game, if anything, makes me respect Alabama so much more because I said in the pregame that I thought Alabama was going to blow them out. But when you have these uncharacteristic fumbling issues to Bama, like we've all had a game for our team that goes this way 
where it seems like every football god in creation just wants you to lose. And I want to be honest, we could go through specifically and talk about some of the execution mistakes by Alabama, but this truly just was a game that the football gods wanted Jimbo Fisher to win. Like, I'm sure Saban's mad. There are things to clean up. But when you talk about having Miro versus Young, that's part of it. So that's something that just should fix itself. But thinking about <laughs> A&M went for a fourth and two, which they had to, right? Like in Alabama territory. And let me just read you very quickly uh, 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 the drive after that. So first and 10 at the Alabama 19, Hayes King passing complete. All right. Second and 10, Hayes King runs for a loss of one. Third and 11, pass complete to A-Chain for three yards, had no shot. Of By the way, the, the, the loss of one, that's Haynes King running to the right sideline, running out of bounds, trying to escape Will Anderson. So that's like basically yes. a sack in those spots. That yeah, might be the cartoon dinosaur play, actually. Yes. Anyway, so anyway, so then a pass to A-Chain, which had no shot to get there. Okay, fourth and eight. Jimbo sends the offense back out there. Let's get it, boys. False start. All right, fourth and 13. Jimbo yep. sends the offense back out there. Let's get it, boys. False start. This boy is kicking a field goal down seven. Yeah. With four minutes left. Yeah. Because he's fourth and 18. I looked at Brady. I said, you know what? Yeah, probably kick that field goal. You're not getting the fourth and 18. You no only got the yeah. fourth and 13. Yep. I don't even know why you tried that one. Like, the minute you sent the field goal unit out there, I was like, logically, he should have done this at fourth and eight because there was no shot. This offense was getting eight yards. So he does that, right? Then you have a Bama three-play, eight-yard drive, which, again, the AM defense balled out. That is a gift from the football gods themselves. Alabama didn't do anything wrong. That's just how things happen sometimes. Will's awake. Listen, that's my, <laughs> give my cat medicine alarm. She's doing great. We've already gotten past where I need that, so that's amazing. Anyway, so then we have this drive in which a roughing the passer penalty keeps them even in the game. Yep. Oh, gosh, a I forgot about that. API. Puts them back when the players are on the field. I have never had less sympathy for a team losing a game than I have for Texas A&M right now. We talked about it against Mississippi State. It's one thing for me to say, oh my gosh, it's so inspiring for me to watch the people of Mississippi beat the stew out of Jimbo Fisher. It's hilarious. But when you have a game where you're actually supposed to earn this money, where these oil money boosters put up $100 million and say, we just want to be in this game, and the football gods say, you know what, you you – from, don't deserve you don't deserve to be in this game but you're gonna be in this game at the end we have this thursday night football game before where you have richard sherman yelling just run the ball as you said with a chain you're giving it to him on on uh third and 11 anyway with three yards to go the offense is designed to make this guy miss make eight guys miss you can't give him the ball in the two you know, you can't even do what the Broncos did. And everyone's dumping on them for having an inside slant route that went uncovered. How many times in the SEC? We talk about the Florida-Tennessee game from uh, – or sorry, Florida-Kentucky game from three or four years ago where they just didn't cover somebody because there were just a lot of receivers out there. In the goal line in college football, 18, 19-year-old dudes just make mistakes. So to design a play in which an, a quarterback who is, will never play in the NFL has to make an NFL throw to – a 170-pound wide receiver, to your point, that is 18, might play in the NFL one day, but that's going to be a full presidential administration from now. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about that is the – you've eliminated – you know, uh, they, they were obsessed with – and we'll definitely get to this. They were obsessed with how wide the Tennessee wide receivers were split out during the LSU the game. And, oh, yeah. Well, how, yeah, I get what you're saying. What and you're what saying. that does is it makes the safeties, okay, cheat up. But in the end zone <laughs> – the farther you go out, that's less real estate you have because the safeties don't have anywhere to be. They have reservations for right in front of you. 
So the fact that they didn't even involve anything but two players in the offense, and maybe the offensive line, if you want to get technical, they didn't give up a sack on that play because it was a three-second play. Uh, but if you want to involve, literally involve two players in your offense, and that's the play call, it's like, dude, run a shovel pass. Run a screen pass. Run a, like something that you can at least complete the football and give your guy a chance to get in the end zone. So, yeah, like there are very few programs that I literally like – We'll never feel bad for dumping on. Like in America, it's like Ohio State, Notre Dame. I feel like A&M's getting there. Because at least with Alabama, I'm like, dog, you guys at least are used to winning. And when bad things happen to you, you like should feel disappointed. Like I understand. For A&M, it's like, what do you expect here? Like truthfully, because we talked about like what is, you know, like happiness is about expectations, right? And it's like the entire time we're watching Jimbo just puke down the field like like just just throw up over left shoe right shoe left shoe right shoe and somehow get to the two-yard line and we're just like he's gonna find a way to do this and still you spit in the football god's face like that by it's the disrespectful way disrespectful to the sport by the way okay even if you get dpi in that play which AM fans were calling for oh brother yeah that's what you needed another flag then you would have had it that wouldn't have been an, that doesn't give you six points you yep. still have to call another play after that. And if you want to do over based on what you just saw from Jimbo Fisher, I still don't have confidence that he's going to get it right the second time. So AM's entire like entire argument in that spot, those who are supporting, you know, Jimbo or whatever and saying, Oh, yeah, the play call was great, or you know, we were robbed a chance because of, you know the pass interference, and they're showing the back view where he's got his hand kind of on his back, and it's like Stewart's trying to get separation there with with the break. He he is so like there's there's a little bit of that that it, it's a physical play. It's a very physical play in traffic to try and get that guy open, and it's mm-hmm. it's low percentage any way you look at it. There's a goal line fade which everybody would have blasted and hated. At least Evan Stewart, who can jump out of the gym, can go up and have a chance on that ball. And at least you know it's it's in the end zone. And there is at least a chance in which a guy could theoretically come down with that football, have two feet in the end zone, whereas that play, that execution did not happen. And how about you talk about the gift? And this is the last thing we'll say, because I know we've talked a lot about this game so far. The Jermaine Burton penalty, wherein I can't remember the AM defensive back who, who pushed Burton twice, pushes Burton twice. And Burton's like, all right, now I got to retaliate. Yep. And then the official comes running in and he's like, flag on Burton. Because it's always the guy who does it last. Yep. And on the broadcast, which you know where <laughs> I stand on that. There, Gary's talking about how Burton shot himself in the foot because they would have had offsetting penalties, which is not true because then they they still could have had offsetting penalties. Or why would it be off? Like the or no, no, what he said was Burton would have gotten a 15 yard penalty had he not reacted in that spot. Which makes no sense whatsoever, because if he would have gotten that penalty, then in theory, it would have been offsetting penalties in that spot, offsetting 15 yard penalties. And instead, it was Burton was the only one who was flagged. So clearly the official missed the first two times that Burton got pushed. And you they saw him. You saw him on the bench wherein he's trying to explain, like, why he reacted the way he did. He's like, I got pushed the twice. Dude, like mugged him like it yeah. wasn't just a show it was like he followed him out of bounds and kept shoving him gift that's, for AM. that's gift. losing control of the game as a referee anyway yes but anyway it was wild i hope every single bama AM game is is like that i do but jimbo fisher's gonna have to give up play calling duties it's as simple as that i'm, I'm gonna bang that drum from now until the rest of the season and if he doesn't hire the right offensive mind the right offensive play caller he is doing his team as a service and he's gonna waste all this talent 
Just AM fans need to know that. They do. Well, and hey, I think happy they birthday do. to my stepdad, who was a Bama fan. It was at that game. You got your money's worth for your birthday. So. And oh, happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to Jimbo as well. Hey. So two there you go. birthday experiences. Yeah. Great birthday experience. Okay. Well, I did not wake up and choose violence, but we got to talk about the 40 to 13 bloodbath that was <laughs> Tennessee. LSU man immediately chooses <laughs> sorry uh the only thing that I properly diagnosed about this game was that we would get at least one interception and it happened in the final minute of the game thank mm-hmm. you to Jaden Daniels for that um did not expect it to be in the final minute of a 40 to 13 game as mm-hmm. Brian Kelly said this was not how we expected this one to go uh can't say this this was obvious to me Probably knew it was going to be a long day for LSU when Jack Besh muffed the opening kickoff. The good yeah. kick returner, by the way. The one yes. that we were excited. The better kick returner, yes. The one that Brian Kelly hadn't thrown under the bus yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, give Tennessee credit because they were ready to roll from the jump. And instead of mm-hmm. squandering some favorable field position early, they capitalized on it. I was dead wrong saying that I thought Tennessee's offense would be limited a little bit without Cedric Tillman. I mean, don't get it twisted when they get him back and hopefully they're going to get him back for the Bama game, they will be even more dynamic. But when you've got hen dog, you are always set up well. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit there was one play where I thought Greg Brooks might've just eliminated Hendon hooker from this earth. <laughs> yeah. Now, that hit was, Oh my gosh, clean, perfectly legal hit. Hooker just never saw him coming from the second level. And I wondered if that would knock him out. If all of a sudden the offense was going to kind of sputter, but Nope. He just keeps on fighting. He keeps getting out there. He keeps throwing the football. He does not care. If you didn't watch this game and you just want to know, hey, like, you know, I thought this was a, a three-point spread, three-and-a-half point spread, depending on where you looked. What what happened? This sequence, and I texted you immediately after this happened, this sequence told you everything you needed to know about where these programs are at right now. LSU is down 13 to nothing. Mm-hmm. Start of the second, pretty familiar territory for LSU. I mean, all oh, things yeah. considered, like this, this is their comfort zone. This is their wheelhouse. 13 nothing, oh, no yeah. big deal. All right. But not, not all 13 point deficits are created equal. Mm-hmm. 13 to nothing, start of the second quarter. They're on their own 46 yard line. The play call is this beautiful play action wherein I think they had a bunch formation. Tennessee loaded oh, the box. God. They sold out on stopping the run. They did. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels has time to step back. He's got a receiver in one-on-one coverage. I can't remember who the receiver was. I don't think we got a second look at it. I wanted to get a second look at it, and I didn't see it. Remember, though, this is third down. So it's you could say, yeah, low percentage play, whatever, but you're, you're making a play like that to try and take a chance. You're trying to catch Tennessee off guard. Mm-hmm. Instead of throwing it, Daniels can't pull the trigger. He holds on to the ball too late, and then he ends up having to throw it away. Mm-hmm. And you see Brian Kelly yelling at Jaden Daniels it's one-on-one that's what you want he just like me for real oh my god I, and I was yelling the same thing on my tv I'm like why yep. why are you not throwing that foot unless there is some sort of invisible safety that was not on my screen that I just didn't see how mm-hmm. is he not throwing the football and then of course they get fourth and one LSU goes for it Josh Williams stuffed on the play turnover on downs and then the very next play Hooker drops back Looks off the safety just enough, mm-hmm. just enough to give Jalen Hyatt that window, and he drops it in a freaking bucket. Oh, yeah. 45-yard touchdown, 20 to nothing, game over, all she wrote. That's it. That's all. That's the difference between Tennessee with this scheme and this personnel versus LSU and what they have running right now. Mm-hmm. 
Tennessee's got the trust. They've got the cohesion. LSU does not. And Tennessee also has Hendon Hooker and LSU does not, which is very, very obvious. I mean, at, at full strength, this might be the best receiver rooms in the SEC. But on the LSU side, you never know it because Daniels won't take chances. He still won't take chances after the players only meeting. He called, he's called everybody in. He's like, I got to start trusting you guys. He didn't, he couldn't. And they just don't get schemed open in the way that Tennessee's receivers do. And at look, Brew McCoy, Jalen Hyatt kind of question them a little bit, even though I've been singing their praises. I'm like, all right, let's see what they can do on the road atmosphere like this. McCoy was brilliant. Seven catches, 140 yards, Hyatt four for 63 with the two scores. Well, as the hooker for Heisman campaign gets a little bit more fuel to the fire, I got to ask you, and I say this not to troll. I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm, I'm legitimately interested in this because I, I, when I don't have a dog in the fight, I don't have the same sort of emotional connection within the flow of a game. Can you explain what it's like to have to watch your team try to slow down Hendon Hooker in this offense? Um, I think it's a two-pronged question. I think Hooker played fine, but the offense was unstoppable. I like so it, it was interesting because there were definitely moments to your point that like he made us pay or made actions say us now. He made LSU pay immediately, like that one. Then you had moments like at the end of the half where he was just like missing guys. I don't think Hendon Hooker beat us, um, beat LSU. I think that it came from exactly what we talked about in the preview, which is that LSU could not run the ball. They could not keep the ball. And when you start off and you do what LSU did, which is give the ball to the best offense probably in America, even without their best receiver, they're going to score immediately. This isn't like giving the ball to Auburn or Florida State or even a Mississippi State that you have figured out somehow. Uh, So they're going to score immediately, right? And then, so this is funny. I don't know. This might just be me being really deep in the woods. But so in the pregame walkthrough, Will Campbell just collapses, right? Did you see this? Yeah. So the it's the, the this came out, yeah, Friday night, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like you, if you follow, uh, you know, LSU people, Matt Moscona, Brody Miller, people are like, oh, that's not great. LSU's left tackle just tweeted out an IG story from the hospital bed. Yep. And you're like, huh, this probably isn't ideal. And then you find out dehydration was the was the cause of it. Which, yeah, I mean, I'm not even gonna get into that, how that happens at a SEC campus, but whatever. So that happens. Okay, then you have Dellinger back. He gets hurt in the game, right? So you have Jaden Daniels, who, like we talked about, was our leading rusher, even in this game, somehow, because this dude will not take chances. He's hurt, okay? So you have your leading – like, when a quarterback like Jaden gets hurt, you basically lose your best running back, which is – we saw it. Without the ability to run, he's almost useless. Yeah, the knee injury, yeah. Yep. Then you have – and even a little banged up, you know what I'm saying? That's his first read is to run. So when you take that away, he's bad. Then you have the offensive line loses two starters. You have to put in – guys who haven't played before and Tennessee starts running these stunts and these twists that these linemen have, it's like they're running something that is foreign to them. So immediately Tennessee goes from a team that I'm like, okay, hopefully we can get a little bit of push to they are eating up front. The, the LSU's offense is dead in the water because they can't run the ball. They can't, and they can't run with their quarterback. So boom, there's two methods. So then you only have Jaden. And to your point about the bunch formation, there was a play in this game, Connor, that they came out on fourth down. Now, do you know exactly what I'm talking about? They come out in a bunch formation. 
They motion Kayshawn Booty across yep. the formation. He runs into Mason Taylor, who I swear, Mason Taylor has to have documents that could lead to the arrest of Mike Denbrock. I don't know why Mason Taylor is so involved in this offense. He's like a low four-star freshman tight end. He's not Brock Bowers. If you guys see the way we use him, you think he's Brock Bowers or Eric Gilbert. He's nothing like those people. Yeah. We He bumps into Mason Taylor, falls down. Now, mind you, he gets up and is still bracketed. It's fourth down. He's double covered on the ground. And Jaden is just staring at him on the ground and throws him the ball when he gets up and he gets tackled by the two people who are bracketing him. This is LSU's offense right now. (laughs) There was one read. They can't get to the second guy. The third guy might as well just be playing a crossword puzzle because he's not going to get involved unless he's Mason Taylor, because if Mason Taylor's the third read, he's going to become the first read no matter who's on him. I don't understand. Like as a fan, you watch this stuff go down and you're literally like, I feel like me and you could get a play sheet and get down there and figure out how to get Kayshawn booty open. But Mike Denbrock can't do it. Okay, so let me let me ask you this, and and I think South Carolina, we're going to give South Carolina its praise um, for for what they did at, at Kentucky. But I think South Carolina fans have experienced this with Marcus Satterfield. Mm-hmm. If you are not getting through to your third progression, right? Which Jade Daniels ain't getting there. He he's not. If he and, gets to two, I'm applauding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he, if he's looking off a safety and throwing back to a guy, you'll you'll count that as as a second progression, even though that was his go to guy from the jump, right? right. You're seeing this happen. Why then are you still putting out these formations wherein your protection is limited? Mm-hmm. You've only got five guys blocking for you. And your quarterback is one reading go. Like mm-hmm. that, that is frustrating to watch because it almost feels like such a mental thing at this point where if you just told him, hey, like we're going to have a tight end that, that's going to be in. We're going to have a running back. You're not going to have empty back sets. And you're just going to get that one extra guy to make you feel like you have a safety blanket so that maybe you can work through one more of your progressions because you're not getting to three. You're not getting to four. You're not. Mm-hmm. If you're LSU from that standpoint or South Carolina is in with that issue or any any of these teams, I mean, Auburn's another one that's dealing with these, these types of issues in these spots. Mm-hmm. Why then can you not make that adjustment? And why does that look like such a frustrating thing? Because I get it. You want to be unpredictable. Everybody, this is the day and age of offense that we're talking about in 2022. Wherein you have to be unpredictable. You want your personnel mm-hmm. to be able to, to stay on the field, run past. You don't want to be obvious and tip your hand. But to me, it just makes more sense to have at least that that six guy. That six guy, when you clearly can't protect your quarterback, and they're getting home no matter what. Byron Young was eating, man. He is having an all-SEC season for Tennessee. He is such a difference maker with what they do up front. And to me, I just watched that LSU offense, and I'm just sitting there just like, they, they have to make adjustments because this is not it. Well, Connor, let me tell you two things about why you can't do that with Mason Taylor. Thing number one, if you make Mason Taylor block, you can't treat him like prime, prime Gronk and feed him the ball. Number two, if you make Mason Taylor block, he might miss a block like he did on that PAT to lose the FSU game. So <laughs> really what we need to do is just get a six offensive lineman and play him a tight end so yeah. we can't target him. Because the way and the fact that this man runs a mile in pre-snap to do nothing, every single LSU play looks like Mason Taylor running in a circle and then running a three-yard route. Sorry, but we don't have the people to block. We don't have the people to catch. Like, how about this? We have the people. We don't use them. The fact that LSU, to your point, has what could be argued as the second-best receiver room behind Tennessee, and you see how Josh Heupel uses his receivers, his second and third receivers, his running backs, his tight ends, and then you have a fully healthy LSU receiver room, much Chris Hilton, who wasn't going to see the field anyway. Yeah. And 
they just keep doing stuff that looks like a guy who just coached eighth grade football in 1996. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. And, and so from an LSU standpoint, I, I totally get fans wanting to leave leave that game early <laughs> in the third quarter, which they, they were doing. And credit Tennessee for that, because as I said, this this defensive line and what they did against obviously an LSU offensive line that is very much a work in progress was depleted, still figuring things out. Don't take, don't let that take away from what Tennessee did on the road in that atmosphere. Oh, that was all Tennessee. This is not even me making excuses. LSU should have and could have done different things. Tennessee dominated that game. And they're supposed to be this finesse team that runs up and down the field and their defense has proven to be soft. They dominated an LSU team that has been physical and gritty and beat the life out of them, dog. If you're a Tennessee fan, you're like, you're feeling great after that game. Can I get ahead of something here? And, Go ahead. I'm going to say this pretty much in every place that I that I, that I speak on this week, any, any radio, TV, what like whatever. Tennessee isn't a fraud if it loses to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's six and zero with maybe the most momentum that they've had any point post Fulmer. Mm-hmm. And even if they lose by 14, they lose by 17 to Bama at home or something like that. As deflating as that would kind of be, considering what we're going to be talking about in the week leading up to this game. We have to find some sort of middle ground between feels like 98 and champions of life. <laughs> let's find that middle ground. If, if we do nothing this week, let's at least be realistic about what a loss actually means because they still would have control of their own destiny to Atlanta, by the way, because they still have the Georgia game coming up. So not all is lost if that's the case. And oh, by the way, if you get blown out by Alabama, welcome to the club. Welcome to every team that gets the college football playoff and gets that number four seed. And then is like, oh, hey, this actually sucks. They don't have to necessarily be a fraud if they lose this game. They can still be a really good team that can still have a great season. But this doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing type game. This is a dangerous, fun team that nobody's going to like facing for 60 minutes, regardless of what happens, barring a head and hooker injury in which we have to see Joe Milton. And I don't wish that on Tennessee fans. Lord knows we are head dogs through and through, and we want him. We want Bryce young. We want all of these great quarterbacks in the sec to be healthy. But barring that Tennessee is going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. No matter what, no matter how this plays out, it might take a little bit of the, some of the, you know, the, the anticipation out of this one, but I just think it needs to be repeated and it needs to be remembered because this is very unfamiliar territory for what we've been talking about for Tennessee, but it should be. And they've earned that. And they earned that by having games like this, wherein people are questioning, people question them going into Florida. Oh, they're going to puke on their shoes yet again in a rivalry game, even though Florida's down. Oh, what's it going to look like when they actually have to go on the road, do this in death Valley. It's different than going up to pit or something like that. No, 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 no. Tennessee is who it is. It's going to let you know about that. And by day's end, they're going to make you realize, hey, this this is a football team that knows what it's doing. It knows exactly what it is, and that's a dangerous thing for the rest of the SEC to have to dissect. Mm-hmm. I, I came out of this this game really quick just with a thought. I will, I will have plenty of time to talk about this. I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid and think they can beat Georgia. I think just with that – with that, Welcome, it, Will. The water's warm. Yep. It's the nice. style that they play and seeing what they do with their chances versus mm-hmm. Georgia in this Auburn game and what they do with their chances. I understand Georgia's defense is way better than LSU's, but they're still not the defense from last year. You know what I'm saying? I I like this Tennessee team. I, I just want to say one thing really quick, and we'll get onto it. Um, I, I had this stat and just didn't say it. LSU goes for two yards of carry. Yeah, I, some of that gets taken out because of the sacks, the sacks as but, well. I mean, they had one, two, three players that didn't rush for two yeah. yards of carry. That weren't okay. it. So point being, 
Tennessee, you got to feel great. You dominated. You were on the road, beat the stew out of a tough LSU team. And right now, you got to think with that offense, the sky is truly the limit. And if you know, if I had told you a couple of years ago with the Pruitt stuff and everything that you'd be sitting here in 2022, you'd be pumped. So hey, ten times like it is 98 yep. until it's not, dog, because this is y'all's best shot no. for a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> we cannot say that. We can't say that. Let's chill. Doesn't have yes. to feel like 98. Doesn't have to feel like I'm just 98. And they just get to they get to enjoy it. I I, yes. I as much as Tennessee fans can be difficult on the internet, I do have a lot of good friends that are Tennessee fans and they enjoy, enjoy to be happy this week and Amen. until they aren't, you know? Amen. Okay. Arkansas, Mississippi State. Um, I want to start with a positive spin zone for Arkansas because America's team is 0-3 in ICC play. Yeah. Malik Hornsby prevented that game from being a shutout. He did. And and I came away really impressed by how he threw the deep ball once Cade Fortin. Clearly wasn't it. He, he just wasn't. Granted, if you watch some of the intermediate, some of the short passes, you're like, oh, yeah, this is why Malik Hornsby isn't a starting quarterback yet. He very much lacks touch, and you can see why they wanted to change change him to receiver. But that game could have been 42 to nothing with the way that Mississippi State looked early. I mean, it really, really mm-hmm. could. I, You know, you see the, the deep connection to Bryce Stevens and Jaden Hazelwood kind of, you know, sprung. He got open somehow like way too open against the Mississippi state secondary a couple different times. And that, that kind of made Arkansas fans feel like, all right, you know, we at least have an all offensive pulse because that game could have been much, much worse. And it wasn't, it's still a deflate. It's still a very deflating loss to drop to zero and three to SEC play when your starting quarterback is not healthy. And you're like, wow, we are, we're not there. We're just not there. That's the positive. Okay. On a day in which you don't have KJ Jefferson, that's the positive is that you at least saw Malik Hornsby knows how to spin it a little bit. And I thought she, he showed more promise as a passer than any point in his career. Mm-hmm. But the overall positive for the day is Mississippi State. It's not even close. As our guy Sarthik Sharma, shout out Sarthik, he said, the rush raid, it's taken over. Oh, yeah. It is. Dylan Johnson is running like he's pissed off that he doesn't get the ball 30 times a game. <laughs> he is. And the fact that he's rocking this sleeveless hoodie under his jersey – elite move i don't get why he does that because i would think that's just one more thing to be able to grab onto if i'm a defender i I don't really get that but he's got the hoodie kind of sticking out in the back maybe it's some sort of performance hoodie that i'm just not aware of like hoodie mellow you gotta have it maybe i guess i don't know that's not typically the look you know how it goes it is i i i don't know um hoodies are are apparently a thing though under under a football jersey couldn't be me but whatever you do you it's working career high 100 rushing yards for him nobody has done that so far, like up until yesterday, nobody had had a hundred yard game running in Leach's offense at Mississippi State, which Man. is wild to think about. But when you have such a low volume rushing offense, yeah, that's to be expected. Mississippi State was willing to run the ball against Barry Odom's drop eight coverage. And it was Leach, not Odom, who made the adjustment. 173 rushing yards on 37 carries for Mississippi State. How many teams in the SEC right now would look at that and say, yep, sign me up for that. I wish our ground game could do that. That'd be awesome. That'd be zero carries for Will Rogers. Those are rushing attempts. Yes. Yep. Actual rushing attempts. Will Rogers, he didn't get sacked once. You know what he did do? He broke Aaron Murray's SEC completions record in about half the games, which is nuts. I mean, I looked at Mississippi State's offense and I thought, this feels like balance. This feels like a team that can beat you in multiple ways. First time Mississippi State had 100 rushing yards in consecutive weeks under Leach. They're making a concerted effort to do that a lot more. And even they come out in the opening drive, I think Dylan Johnson had like six carries on the opening drive. 
Like you were lucky to get six carries in a game last year. All right. This is a very different offensive philosophy than what we've come to expect. I shouldn't say very different, but it's definitely been tweaked. And Mike Leach is clearly saying, okay, I can't be so stubborn. I need to be willing to take what the defense is giving me and credit to him. He did that in this game. It was really impressive to the Mississippi state defense, what they did. I I understand it's a backup quarterback situation. We're going to be talking a lot about backup quarterbacks this week, but Outside of Jaden Hazelwood kind of running free on a couple of those plays, all in all, I mean, really, really complete game from Mississippi State. Did not allow the sack of Rodgers. They were plus two in turnover margin. They converted three of four on fourth down. They only committed four penalties. They had 568 total yards. And look, I I know it's probably a different game with KJ out there. I think Mississippi State still wins that game with KJ. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many more times I can say that Mississippi state is a dangerous team. And right now, and it's weed this out. I don't think there are 15 teams in college football that are better than Mississippi state. And this was after, you know, there were people kind of coming into the week. I saw a little bit of this of like, I had somebody who's banging the drum, like Mississippi state's a joke. Maryland got robbed for a spot in the top 25. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you're just telling yourself, there are still people that haven't seen Mississippi state. That's fine. I get it. Whatever. They're only primetime game. Like, LSU, that happened. Totally get it. But think about this. They're five and one. They hit 39 points in five of their six games against FBS competition. Every single game was against FBS competition. Mm-hmm. They allowed less 20, 24 points or less all but once. The LSU game being the lone exception. And both of those instances in which they didn't hit those numbers, by the way, on offense and on defense, were LSU with the horrendous special teams that they had. Finally, be some good news. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, we're gonna give LSU, we're gonna give LSU a lot of heat today, but that's the one thing. That's the one good thing that they get today is they they did that to, to Mississippi State. They are at Kentucky next week, mm-hmm. and then they are at Bama, two teams that just started backup quarterbacks. And I tell you what, I would not want to be shorthanded against Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. They are good. They are going to be dangerous in the West, man. They really are. I, I continue to be impressed. I do, really do. Could be, could be a top fifteen, could be a top ten team, if not for that fourth quarter against LSU. But that happened. Of course, it did. Codner, have you ever heard the song "Daydream" by Jill, Jill Scott and Lupe Fiasco? How new is that? If it's the one that I'm thinking of, like 2010. It's it's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then I yeah. know that. Then I know so, that. Yeah. There was a moment. On, I don't know if it was the probably the second or third Mississippi State touchdown. I was kind of watching. You guys know what I was doing during that slide. Uh, but I was like watching the side TV. And Will Rogers had a smooth 12 seconds of real time in the pocket at the goal line. And I just heard, daydream, daydream. Yep. asleep beneath the flowers. And then he just throws a dart. Hits a receiver in the chest. Dude is like celebrating. And it's like, well, this game's over. If you guys can't. First off, if you're Barry Odom and you have that week against Alabama where you get beaten by the pass and then the run, then you go into this game and Mississippi State runs the ball on you. Oh, you need man. to start filling out that fellow CV, buddy, because these this league has figured you out. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's it's going to be weird. I, I, I truly think Sam Pittman is going to have to make a decision at the end of the season about Barry Odom because it can't be as simple as Jalen Catalan goes out and all of a sudden – Every different team is finding these new ways to beat you. And I get I get the, the overall philosophy of playing drop eight coverage because you're like, oh, we suck on the back end and it probably wouldn't be ideal if we had all these blitzing guys against a team that can throw it 50 times and Will Rogers mm-hmm. knows where to go before the ball is snapped anyways. That probably wouldn't be ideal with the way that Arkansas tackles on the back end. But still, it's like, man, they are just 
so flawed in that department and it's brutal. And as an Arkansas fan, you've got to be think, thinking at home, like we we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to get out coached on that side of the ball, like week in, week out. And Bobby Petrino did it to him too. So sure did Connor. This, this isn't just, a, a, you know, a great offensive mind here, great offensive mind there. This has been a, a bad season for the Barry Odom is one of the best assistants in the sport narrative, which, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm finding that really hard to believe at this point, but Sam Pittman has got a tough decision to make at season's end. He's got a tough time to be able to rally this team around. You're going three and SEC play. Now you got to go up to Provo. Good luck. I get it. BYU just lost another game. Still, that's not ideal. Arkansas has gut check time right now, or else this can get this can get ugly. This can get six and six. This can get, dare I say, five and seven in a hurry if they don't figure some things out. It really could. Mm-hmm. Auburn, Georgia, Deep South, oldest rivalry. I would love to know this, and there's no way I could actually find this out. This is very hypothetical. How many Auburn fans actually believed that their team could win? in any moment leading up to Saturday or at any point after the ball was snapped? How many? Like 12, 13, I'm gonna maybe? Say 15% maybe. Oh, 15%. Oh, I think that's way too high. No. Oh, listen, I grew no. up listening to Fine Bomb. There are some people out there, buddy. But outside of those people. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking like not just speaking that positive rhetoric talk themselves into being frisky i'm i'm saying truly felt like your team was going to be able to go into athens and have this this type of game that you pull out of your rear end that nobody saw coming and boom just like that auburn's the story of the day in college football like how many people actually thought that Mm -hmm. and look here's all you need to know stetson said after that game which by the way 42 to 10 was the final Georgia ends up covering in that one. He said that you can have points. So let's be fair. Oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. That's the positive. Georgia said, or not Georgia said, Stetson said about Georgia that they've got to get their moxie back. And I actually agreed with him Mm -hmm. because I think the passing game was still pretty rough after two disappointing weeks and they don't have their moxie. They really don't. Georgia won this game 42 to 10 and it felt pretty sloppy and the ground game was good. Defensively, you were encouraged by most of the things you saw. Auburn was beat before it stepped on the field. Mm-hmm. It, it really, I mean, it really was. And I think even the biggest Auburn apologist, Brian Harson, should have been able to see that probably. And that's why he's, you know, doing the fake punts in his own territory. And all right, give him a little bit of credit for being willing to do things like that, even though whatever, they still punted the ball when it was fourth and four in the fourth quarter when it's like, all right, you're down 28 points, like fourth and four. What what are you punting the ball for? What are you what are you doing? But whatever. That, yeah, I, I they, were, they weren't even trying to cover at that point, which Brian Harson's never seen a spread in his life, so that's not an issue. But yeah, I I just I'm not saying that Harson is supposed to have a team that makes it a 60 minute game against Georgia in Athens, right? Like. This is still the place that they haven't won since 2005. This is still the place where, as Justin Ferguson pointed out, Auburn didn't have a touchdown pass thrown by a quarterback from the year 2010 to the year 2021. Robbie Ashford was the first Auburn quarterback to throw a touchdown pass in Athens since 2009. And that only happened because Jarquez Hunter broke like two tackles on this play on the sideline, and he scored that touchdown to give Auburn um, its first second half with at least seven points against Power 5 competition since October 16, 2021. Almost a year. Almost a yeah. full 
year. Scored 10 second half points. So they did. I mean, it's kind of the way that we, we talked about. All right, Auburn's going to score that touchdown. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Adjustments, Brian yeah. Harson. So, hey, look at me now. So. Hey, how, how do you like me now game for Brian Harson? <laughs> It was it was a Toby Keith game for Shane Beamer. Was it also one for Brian Harson? I mean, just saying. People are uh, saying, yeah. yeah, there just wasn't any hope whatsoever. And Robbie Ashford, if you would have told me that was Bo Nix out there, I would have said, "Yep, that checks out. That's fine." He looks like him all day, no chance. I, I realize though, if you look at Georgia's sack numbers with Kirby, you kind of realize why they're low. And you could say you could point at a few things here or there and say, yeah, they need to be able to get home. It's kind of a bummer that that they're not able to get to the quarterback here and they're not able to, to kind of capitalize when they do have a guy dead to rights. But guys know immediately when they face Georgia, when they face, you know, Will Anderson or something like that, they know that they're going to be facing pressure and they just roll out immediately. And then they throw the ball on the run or they get desperate like Ashford and they just say, screw it, I'm going deep. I'm just going to throw this one up for grabs. He did that on a play, throwing into triple coverage that looked like a pick to Malachi Starks, but he actually bobbled it going to the ground. Anyways, the line was very Bo Nix, 13 of 38, 165, 4.3 yards per attempt. That ain't going to get it done. He had the fumble where it looked like he was about to pick up the first down in Georgia territory when Auburn's down 14 to nothing, but then he just drops the ball. Robbie Ashford reacts to mistakes like the hot-headed tennis player. Mm, Kyrgios. Yes, that's the guy. I was hoping that you would have that. <laughs> just ready to go. <laughs> I mean, you, you just see it everywhere. And, and I get it. You know, I, I, I'm somebody who is admittedly hot-headed playing sports back in the day. Team sport and individual sport did not matter. I was the guy that would take it probably way too seriously. I get really fired up. I'd yell at somebody if I drained a three in their face and I'd let them know about it. All right. I was that guy. I've talked about my rec league softball. I jaw with people. I'm not afraid to do that. Oh, well. Um, but Robbie Ashford, I think at some points looks like a guy who's still playing an individual sport Mm -hmm. and he's not. And I always just want to say to him when he makes these mistakes and you just see it on the sideline, Hey, Robbie, your entire offense needs you to not go Andy Bernard and punch a hole in the wall right now, man. Is that what he does? That's yep. Cause you can tell he starts to get frustrated. It's like here, dang. And just like yeets the ball. Oh man. Screw it. We're, we're throwing deep. Don't care. Yeah. And man, like, I'm not saying that if he had the right mindset the entire time that Auburn would all of a sudden be this different offensive team. So don't get it twisted. That's not what I'm saying. There, there are like six different things away from actually being able to make that a full 60 minute game. But man, it was a, it was a rough day, rough day for Auburn all around. If that was the end for Harson, which by the way, we're recording this at, this is 10 36 on Sunday morning. Um, if this is the end, He'll end having gone one in seven in his last eight power five games with his lone win being Mizzou, wherein an all-American kicker had to miss a 26-yard field goal and a running back had to fumble a game when he touched down into the end zone. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Harson, all that stuff. We will. Takeaways from Georgia, not a ton. Um, Stetson Bennett, sneaky athletic, some are saying. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah, that's what I knew this game was over with. Stepdad had the wheels where he just took off up the middle and scored on the left side. I was like, uh oh, they can't stop this ball. Oh, right up the gut, right up the gut, Daniel Jones style. Like, oh yeah, the Red Sea just parts and he's just off. It felt like, and I've made this this reference before. Uh, it felt like something Jake Fromm could have probably done a few times in his career if he ever pulled the ball in an RPO. And I know the sets and play wasn't an RPO, but you get what I'm saying. It was like that, that, that was just there so many different times. And Jake Fromm just never wanted to be any part of that. Yep. 
I'm still a bit concerned about the passing game. Um, Stetson's just a little off. It's just a little off. You know, New Heisel blamed McConkey on a diving play where Stetson led him about a yard too far. I'm not a Rick Neuheisel guy, so you know that I don't need to find any sort of uh, reason to disagree with him, but I definitely disagree with him on that. Brock Bauer should just never end a game with two catches. He should. He he should. And the inefficiency is really what's been most frustrating because that's the thing that we praised Stetson Bennett for, right? When you're talking about, oh, you know, this guy averaged 10 yards per attempt and he, he makes sure that he capitalizes on his opportunities. He hasn't had eight yards per attempt in any of his last three games. And that's, that's the thing moving forward that has to change. If they're going to be a team that repeats, you have to be able to turn that around. That's got to get figured out soon. And they'll have some time to be able to figure that out. But nonetheless, it's a blowout win. Dejon Edwards looks like a dude. He looks awesome. He's been a bright spot offensively these last three weeks. They continue to get him more and more work. Double-digit carries for him in each of those last three games. Branson Robinson, the freshman, looks like a stud too. Power shift kind of in that Georgia backfield with, with McIntosh and Milton. It's kind of changing a little bit, but they're getting all four of those guys involved. Of course, Georgia's got four guys that can just be involved in games like this in the backfield. Georgia's 6-0, and great place to be. Vandy, then a bye week. Got a few weeks to figure out what the passing offense really is. And if they're not really going to get a good test for that passing offense until Florida and then maybe even Tennessee. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. So that that's the tough thing is you're not really going to know. It's not like you've got another game coming up against you know Mississippi State or something like that next week, wherein you're going to find out how good your passing offense is. So that's going to remain a mystery for a little bit. But there are worse places to be than sitting there at six and zero right now. I just want to say really quick, you saw me react because if I saw some type of a ghoul on this right screen, and what I actually saw was Tank Bigsby's stat line. Oh man. Oh. So I just want to say really quick, this is more of an over-encompassing point. This was the best start week that we could ever talk about for Adapt or Die, right? You mm. see Alabama, adapted, right? You see Mike Leach with that Russian attack, adapted. You saw Tennessee, didn't have to do much adapting, but adapt, beat the, you know, their offense is, it travels. You know what I'm saying? That's having an offense that can move. When you have an Auburn team that has a guy named Tank, and you can't get him inside yardage when he has 10 carries for 19 yards with a long of five. Um, that just shows you what the gap is between a team like Auburn and the teams that are leading the SEC. And Georgia, we've talked about, doesn't even really need to be one of those teams. It hasn't won a national championship playing defense. We'll see how long, you know, if that if that continues to be the trend. But as a fan, an LSU fan looking here, and I'm just like, there's a stark difference between the offensive coordinators that get it and the offensive coordinators that do not, and it's an arms race, and you're starting to get left behind. So that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and look, I, I realize Auburn's dealing with its fourth different starting center, and that's that's a problem, and it's, right. it's, it's pretty evident. They just don't have the depth in the trenches on either side of the ball, and it's mm-hmm. so obvious each and every week. And so you feel bad for somebody like Tank, who is seemingly getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage every mm-hmm. single time. But it's also, okay, well – you didn't necessarily develop. You didn't necessarily get big time transfers at the receiver position. So you don't necessarily have anybody that scares you out there. And that's why teams are able to load the box. You get why this, this all kind of relates. Everything is, everything is connected. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we've seen that before. And if Robbie Ashford is going to be, you know, kind of one, one reading or as RG three says half reading go, then you're not necessarily forced to defend their receivers in the same sort of way. You just aren't, and you can kind of have that eye in the backfield, but yeah, I, I do feel bad for Tank. Uh, you know, you see in consecutive years the touchdowns that Auburn scores against Georgia. 
You had last year where Tank looks like he's stuffed at the goal line, basically, or at like the two or three yard line. And he has to like spin out of this unbelievable play just to be able to get to the pylon. And it's an incredible play just to be able to score a touchdown. And Hunter, like the same thing, but in the passing game this year, just to score one stinking touchdown against Georgia. That's what Auburn has to do. Your dependence on, you know, your two best players making an unbelievable play in space and doing something that is beyond scheme or beyond, you know, your quarterback leading a perfect ball, whatever. And that's what's just such a tough pill to swallow. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. It's just not. The tough thing about it, man, as a coach is like, this sounds mean, but it's like, you're literally costing these kids money. Like we, we've seen with LSU, I'll pick up my own team. These receivers will leave LSU in the fourth and fifth round. And you, you see them in the NFL, but oh my gosh, who is this guy? Yeah. Tank is hopefully going to be one of those guys that gets to the NFL, gets in a good offense. And it's like, oh my gosh, where's this guy been for the last, two and a half years or year and a half, whenever they had Bobo and Austin, whatever his name is. I'm not going to remember his name because he's not going to be here next year. All right. I, whatever. I, whatever, I think it's Austin Davis, right? But whatever. But whatever. Eric Keysaws are their offensive coordinator. Yeah. Oh, my bad. That was the guy that got fired. Yeah. Exactly. You know well, what I'm the saying? guy I'm left. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Exactly. Who cares? He's not going to be there next year. Whatever you yeah. cause me to remember your name, it's like, ooh, you Anyway, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you cost these kids money and you hurt their future. And it's mean, it sucks to me because you know, tank is playing his butt off and you've seen classic tank games back in the, in the uh, Malzahn days. And it's like, I just want him to succeed because he wants it more than anybody. And same thing with booty. You can tell these guys on the sidelines want to win and the OCs just won't put them in good positions. Yeah. Very frustrating to, to watch Auburn and uh, a day where it just didn't have a chance. Didn't have much of a chance. So I haven't done the rest of season projection for Auburn, but it ain't good. It's not good. (laughs) We can tell you that right here. Yeah, not great. South Carolina, Kentucky. No Will Levis in this game. He was out with the turf toe injury that he suffered last week. First start that he missed since he became QB1 last year. And boy, did South Carolina pounce all over Kentucky. That was a blowout. That was even more lopsided than what the 10-point margin kind of suggested. They were up 17 late in that game. First win over a ranked team for South Carolina under Shane Beamer. In the climate versus culture battle, Shane Beamer got the last laugh in a big way. Did you see this after the game, Will? Did you see the, the video? Oh, man. The soldier boy. Yes. I so, love Shane Beamer. <laughs> I love teams that are willing to, willing to troll out there. And if you're a Kentucky fan, this is one of, this is one of those days in which you're, you're just not on the internet. Um, you're, mm-hmm. you're just trying to avoid everything talking about this game because there's not, not a whole lot that you can say. Remember over the summer – when Shane Beamer appeared to be the subject of some frustration by Mark Stoops talking about putting on stupid sunglasses and doing some dances and how that just changes the climate, but not the culture Stoops said afterwards, like, Oh, he wasn't talking about Beamer. This came out like right after the Beamer video leading into sec media days. And Mm -hmm. if he wasn't talking about Shane Beamer, I'd be absolutely stunned. I'd love to get some actual truth serum, but clearly clearly Shane Beamer took that. I mean, 100% took that as a shot to himself. So not only does Beamer's daughter wear shades to the post-game presser when this game was a night, it was a night game. It was dark Mm -hmm. kickoff. South Carolina tweets out the post-game locker room video of Beamer throwing on the sunglasses and dancing to some soldier boy. Turn my swag on. Goddard, I've already made a 2000s rap reference on this thing. I want you to know that I've never seen an SEC coach in the mirror the way I did Shane Beamer. He walks in the locker room after a big upset win, 
throws on some pit vipers, like the nicest shade you can get, and just starts singing Soldier Boy. Like it wasn't one of those lame videos where they're all pretending to sing. It's like he's on beat, just like hop up out the bed, turn my swag off. And the whole locker room is singing oh with him. Oh my I'm like, gosh. Um, this is Ted Lasso. This is yes. that's who he reminds me of. Yes, this, this this felt like that. By the way, that song that takes me back to freshman year of college, probably like oh, no yeah. other song. That was that was the jam for for a oh, little bit. Yeah. That's that same came out of the party and yep, yeah, it's the same same vibe. He doesn't say anything else like it's the entire time. Just turn my swag on. That's it. Yep. And for Shane Beamer to be so direct about that, this this is Mr. Nice Guy, right? This this is mm-hmm. I'm not gonna rock the boat. This is positive vibes. This is the ultimate good vibes team in college football. This was a statement win for Shane Beamer. And it felt like it. And it's the ultimate clapback moment for him. All right. And yeah, while I do think that Kentucky operates in an entirely different way, if it has Will Levis out there, like they're not running a, a trick play on the on the on the very first play from scrimmage, which went horribly. And South Carolina deserves credit because they had scouted it and they blew it up. And it looked like a really bad way to have your redshirt freshman with two career snaps to come out, Kaya Sharon. That that had to feel so good for South Carolina to set that tone and to be able to finish that game the way that they did. The Gamecocks were more physical. They punched Kentucky in the mouth at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Shane Beamer called out his defensive line and said, I thought you guys were supposed to be the strength of this defense. Let's finally start seeing it. And that's something where you look, I, I know we can talk about how much Kentucky missed Will Levis, and they absolutely did. But the mentality that South Carolina came out with in this game was huge. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know exactly what the final score would have been if Will Levis was out there because it would have been different. It definitely would have. But South Carolina took advantage of that situation. And they didn't care who was playing quarterback. They came out with that mentality. And against the Kentucky offensive line, that has not been good. I can't remember who coined the phrase big blue gate. It ain't the big blue wall. It ain't the small blue wall. Yeah. And against that offense line, like they were getting after it. They were, and they fed, they feasted on that environment. And that place was ready to go. And it was Beamer ball too, because he had the block punt. Kentucky somehow missed another field goal because what else is new? And Juice Wells made like four different Kentucky fenders miss in space on that touchdown. That's not Will Levis stuff. All right. That's not, Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't convince me that Will Levis just being on the sideline changes things like that over the course of the game. That was South Carolina playing with more urgency, more urgency in that football game. Even on a night where Spencer Rattler, once again, two turnovers. He had the fumble in the red zone where it looked like, oh man, they didn't, they weren't able to capitalize on 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 another short field. And and how is South Carolina only up seven to nothing in this game when it looks like Kentucky's done everything possible wrong? And then he had the interception where he's like, ah, screw it, I'm throwing a Stogner, and it was an underthrown ball. Stogner down there somewhere. He's down there. He'll make a play for me. Nope, that didn't happen. It still didn't matter. And you got to see him kind of have this exhale moment afterwards where Beamer brings him over and he's like, you know, Oklahoma and Texas were playing today. This was the this was the game last year where he lost his job. It's funny how things work out. And, you know, Beamer's talking about how two years ago when South Carolina was just totally blown out in this game at Kentucky in Lexington. And that was the day that South Carolina, like players found out that Shane Beamer was going to be the next head coach. And Beamer's like, they're probably like, who the hell is Shane Beamer? Like, I've never heard of this guy. And that meant a lot more to him. And you could tell, I mean, it really, really was. It's so different to do something like that on the road. And it was huge for South Carolina, a team that we were questioning. All right, you know, you beat Charlotte, you beat South Carolina state. Cool. Congratulations. But it's different to come out and beat a team like Kentucky that had, yes, 
has its issues, has had its issues, has injury issues also without Jacquez Jones in this game, but they did get J.J. Weaver back, so that's worth noting. Kentucky did have three different receivers, probably their three best receivers, go down at various points of that of that game, which does not help a redshirt freshman get going. But mm-hmm. still, the ultimate good vibes team was back, and it was obvious. Anything uh, South Carolina-related before we get to Kentucky? I just want to say it's great that uh... – the best celebration images from college football to me have been Frank Beamer, number one, Shane Beamer, number two. What I totally team. forgot about He dances like his dad. <laughs> he totally does. He, well, he, Mac Brown and, and Frank Beamer, all the same vibes. Yes. Well, I was <laughs> going to say the celebration at zero, zero tie is my favorite reaction yes. image, but Beamer, uh, Frank Beamer also has some like great dancing videos. I was looking that up and I also saw that the backwards so, hat where he just throws yes, it. Back. The backwards yeah, yeah, hat where it. he's like, so, so that's, what's been passed on is dancing <laughs> actually and special team stuff as well. You yeah. Know, especially, credit yeah for that. Great special teams. Yeah. Yeah. And the turnovers and all that stuff. Uh, so for Kentucky, where does Kentucky go from here? Because eight, nine days ago, we're talking about this team in an entirely different light. Even at this time last week, we were talking about, you know, I still feel like Kentucky is maybe like third, fourth best team, you know, maybe fourth best team, fifth best team in the SEC. They're, they're somewhere in that range. They're still a really good team. I think you could have made the case they all played at Ole Miss, but they made some very costly mistakes that cost them that game. Mm-hmm. This team was just so bad at generating looks in the passing game. And it looked like Kaya Sharon was only comfortable when he was rolling out to his right. And he made some really nice throws from doing that. But you're reminded, C-Rod can only do so much. He looked great. I mean, he looked awesome. But the problem is that you can get all the, you, you know, you get a couple of first downs with him. And then you get a second, you get second and four because he got six yards on a play where he should have gotten two or three. Mm-hmm. And then he's got to come to the sideline. And I would love to know, I don't have this breakdown of like what Kentucky's yards gained were when he was on the field versus when he was off the field. Mm-hmm. But he was their entire offense, and they couldn't get anything else going. And anytime they got off schedule or anything like that, or it's like third and six, third and seven, like they don't have a chance. They they, they don't have a chance. Still, um, as frustrating as that was for a Kentucky team that is flawed, has has issues to figure out, or else we're going to be talking about boom, just like that. Wow, Kentucky's got four losses. What, what a bad month of October this was for Kentucky. That can easily happen with the way that the schedule sets up. And instead of talking about, wow, is Kentucky going to be perhaps undefeated or maybe one loss going to the Georgia game? It'll be an entirely different conversation if they don't clean up those issues. But the story of the day is still South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They earned that victory. And I, I think that if you're if you're a Gamecock fan and, and you were kind of pinning your hopes on this one, of like, all right, are we going to take advantage of this opportunity? you're feeling better. You're feeling a lot better about where your program sits moving forward because the latter half of the schedule, it's a lot more favorable for South Carolina and there will be a lot of winnable games moving forward for them. The East tier one is Georgia. I'm still going to put Georgia in that tier by itself until we see Mm -hmm. Tennessee kind of get over that hump. So we see Tennessee beat Alabama or we see them beat Georgia. I think you can't put Mm -hmm. them in tier one just yet. We've learned over the years. That's not how this works. It's not, it's not. And look, we, we give Tennessee all the credit, you know, uh, and, and I think they're worthy of that. And this week's going to be fun, but Tennessee's in tier two. Mm-hmm. And then I think you throw South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Mizzou, all in tier three. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, and then sorry, Bandy, Bandy's tier four. Yeah. Great Just, week by then though. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. That's, that, that's the last game that we're going to talk about, but that's kind of the way that I look at the East right now until further notice, at least maybe this week will change that. Seems to have changed week by week. And we don't really, I think, though, moving forward, I could see that holding true 
through the month of October. That wouldn't surprise me if we're still having that same conversation to your west. Yeah, we love a good sliding doors like conversation on this podcast. And the thing that's tough is that if you're, you know, a Kentucky fan, you could easily tell yourself you should have beaten Ole Miss. You know, we saw Will Levis's finger go sideways in that game. <laughs> Very, you know, I mean, w- w- he clearly is not playing the next week, so he was obviously not healthy in that game. Not to say he shouldn't have been playing. Just well, it was, the, it was the toe. It was the toe that had, that had him sidelined for. No, for no, no, I know, I know. I'm not even saying it's the same injury. I'm just saying he was playing banged up. Yeah, dude, yeah, you know yeah. What I'm saying he, he's a warrior. Like, and he said he he definitely like played well at the end of that game. But it just goes to show, you know, what I'm saying like you said. This is a different team with and without him. And so on one hand, as a Kentucky fan, it's like, oh, if our quarterback had just been healthy, we could have beaten old Ole Miss. And then, you know, you probably at least get get in a conversation with South Carolina because they look so different without him. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, if your offense needs Will Levis to look like an SEC offense, you probably, I can't feel sorry for you because you still got to play Tennessee and Georgia. And it wasn't going to go well for you regardless, you know? Their depth at quarterback was going to be an issue. We talked mm-hmm. about that. That that was a, mm-hmm. a real concern when Bo Allen transferred. Mm-hmm. He's at Tarlington State now. He's, he's starting for them, by the way, uh, FCS. But, yeah, it, it it was very evident of how much they miss him. Kentucky will be in the transfer portal to get another quarterback at the end of the year. When Will Levis goes to the NFL draft, they will be in the portal. There is no doubt. And maybe that's that's tough probably for Kai Sharon. It's tough to sit here and say that maybe we're giving him a little bit of the Luke Altmeyer treatment or something like that and putting too much stock into a game where it's like, all right, you know, it's maybe a little bit more difficult than we probably gave him credit for and some of the receiver issues that they're having, some of the offensive line issues that they were having just in terms of overall play. Um, but yeah, that, that looks very, very imminent right now that Kentucky will be getting a new quarterback. Oh, yeah. Okay. The whole offense outside of C-Rod looks bad. So literally, it it's just like, hey, C-Rod, you made yourself some money. It's all scheme outside of that. That's how you know. When multiple groups look bad, that's one guy. Definitely, definitely. Let's stay in the East, Mizzou and Florida. Okay. This was a shower game. Not like the weather. It was sunny, beautiful here in Florida. It was. Mm-hmm. This was a game in which both fan bases probably felt like they needed to shower after watching the way that it played out. Just I love that. Keep filthy. That. I love that. We're going to save that one for later. I'm kind of I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't have that one earlier. Mizzou Auburn. Yep. Yeah, that was oh gosh, multiple showers, shower bath, hazmat, deep cleanse. Yeah, hazmat, the whole deal. That that one was that. This was a game in which both like, I think you can feel good if you're Florida to be able to get on the board. You get your first SEC win in the Billy Napier era. That's that like that's the good news. And I think if you're Mizzou, the, the positive that defensive front, it continues to show it's better than last year. They gave Georgia and Auburn a lot of problems. Gator ground game. I I think still actually looked really solid against the Mizzou front. And I do enjoy the presence of Montreal Johnson, the burst that Trevor Etienne runs with Florida got the ground game going. You capitalize on mistakes like the ones that Brady cook made. That's how you win an ugly game, but it was ugly. It was ugly. Both quarterbacks were bad, just really bad. Richardson has the 450 yard day against Tennessee, and we don't really want to put too much stock into what you do against Eastern Washington. Then his next SEC game, eight for 14, 66 yards. I think with the exception of that dime that he threw to Ricky Pearsall in the end zone, just beautiful throw, threading the needle on that on the run. That was that that's the Anthony Richardson we want to see. But the rest of the day, mm-mm, not great. Very conservative play calling. Richardson inaccurate in some pretty bad spots over the middle like he was on that interception late where you're like you can't you can't have these late picks you just can't he did it against usf as well he did it there in a in a tight spot against mizzou he had the swing pass where it's like all right you've got henderson split out wide 
you've got five or six yards just sitting right there. You need to be able to hit that to be able to keep the offense on schedule. And he still looks shaky throwing those balls. And it was a reminder that Billy Napier, despite after that first game, wherein he said that his wife could call plays for Anthony Richardson, sometimes it looks like it's not easy to call plays for Anthony Richardson. Okay. I think we can say that after the start that's been so far and how up and down it's been. Florida had three first downs in the first half. That's it. Three first downs in the first half. He might just be a big wife guy. He may just be saying, hey, my wife's way smarter than me because she could probably figure this out. And in Billy Napier's defense, I say that all the time about everything, right? right? Like, if Lawrence, he said my wife out here, he had five touchdowns in the first half. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a lot of times in which I'll say, Lauren, kind of break the tie. Where am I leaning? How? Sh- what do you think about this take? How's and then she'll actually be able to come up with good reasoning. And I'm like, oh crap, she, she might she might be better at this than I am. That's the way mm-hmm. this that this all looks right now. Um, Florida in this game really benefited from the long kick return. They got a gift of a pick six, wherein Brady Cook looked like he was just fooled by Florida playing zone instead of man. I don't know. By the way, another instance in which he was trying to target Luther Burden and it ended with a pick. Just saying. Only five of those so far this season. Three by my count so far, and there might be more. I don't know. I've lost That was track. a joke, but yeah, three sounds right. Like with my eyes, it feels like, yeah. Yeah, he had the Louisiana Tech, he had Auburn with the play, the, the quick slant with uh, Nehemiah Pritch mm-hmm. on him, and then that one as well. Um, and then Brady Cook with the, the interception late in the third quarter in the red zone was awful, just awful. And I get it. You're trying to make a play to tie the game on the road, but Mizzou just doesn't have that margin for error. They don't. They absolutely do not. And I think Mizzou needs a change of quarterback. And I get it. You've been close. You're 0-3 in SEC play, despite having lost those three games by a total of 14 points against the likes of Auburn, Georgia, and Florida. And if you had told a Mizzou fan that, hey, you're only going to be minus 14 against those three teams, which are more talented than you, I think you would have said, oh, all right, that's cool. But Brady Cook is not it. He's not. And even if you throw the ball a little less, I think it'll still benefit this offense more. So I'd I'd love to see Tyler Macon. I'd love to see Jack Abraham. I'd love to see Luther Burden on the Wildcat. I really would. Can Sam Horn maybe get a look? I know he's still got to gain weight. I know he was a a summer enrollee and maybe he's got a better future in baseball than football, but still, I don't know. I think the Mizzou defense deserves better. I really do. And I didn't think I'd find myself saying that, but that's kind of where we're at midway point in the season for Richardson. This is how we should treat it moving forward for, for non-Florida fans, Florida fans who you're don't earmuff this conversation, but this doesn't apply to you. Do not plan your day around watching Anthony Richardson. And I say that kindly because if he makes an incredible play like he did on Saturday, the Ricky Pearsall touchdown, mm-hmm. you'll see it on the internet. You'll see it. You're not going to miss it, right? Mm-hmm. His grade is great. And, and people will be talking about it. They just will. And if he's cooking, find a Florida fan in your life. Maybe if you don't have one, just check my Twitter feed because I'll probably be talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you know that it's worth tuning into. But until then, let's all just accept that he's really still a work in progress And even throwing for 450 yards at Tennessee shouldn't be considered a turn the corner moment for him. Is that fair? Or is that a little bit too harsh? Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. And I think to your point, some of those highlight moments have, you know, put people's expectations where they're at. And we've seen him. We saw him starting with the USF game last year um, that you would think you just keep thinking, Oh, he's got the hard stuff figured out. So the easy stuff he'll figure out automatically and then we'll be good. And he just won't figure out the easy stuff. Yeah. And that's why, in my opinion, he's not a point of viewing. He's not. Not, not. not yet, because when he's not going and he's frustrated, 
you just it's it's not it's not Jameis Winston where it's a touchdown pass or an interception on every single play. Come on, it's, bro. sorry. He's hurt. Come on. Sorry. I would have made that reference even if he wasn't on the Saints, I promise you. Right. <laughs> but that's the that's the troubling thing. And it, and look, yeah, I realize for for the second consecutive game, Richardson goes into the medical tent. And maybe he's he's dealing with some lower body stuff and he's, you know, maybe lacking some of that confidence in the ground game. We've talked about Florida's lack of depth at the quarterback position because of the Jack Miller injury, the Ohio State transfer, and how that's kind of impacted things. Jalen Kitten is kind of the only other guy that they sort of half trust to be able to execute the Billy Napier offense. So maybe that's impacting it somewhat. But at the same time, it's just going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind. There are going to be moments where it's going to look great. There are going to be moments in which you're saying to yourself, how is this still happening? That's That's who Florida is. That's who Florida is. That's kind of why we had this projection of them that was a little bit lower than maybe some Florida fans were hoping for. I think better days are ahead. In the meantime, be happy you got a win. Be happy you got a win. Be happy you avoided the 0-3 start to SEC play because life can always be worse. Ken? Yeah, I think to your point, um, yeah, I mean, I think that if Florida, I think at this point, I mean, it's hard to say they're clearly better than Mizzou because of your point, but it's like, man, if Anthony Richardson just plays 20% better, this game is a runaway. It's like, to your point about Brady Cook, it's like, well, at least Richardson has the the excuse or the reason, it's not an excuse, of, you know, not having very many starts. With Brady Cook, it's like, you know, you knew, you know every time you watch Brady Cook, he's going to make two of the worst throws you've ever seen, or four, four or five, and two or three of them are going to be picked off. And so at least, like, at least you're going somewhere, and, you know, we've, we've said, you know, stick around for the ride, that we knew this was going to be a sickos matchup. 66 yards passing is a little bit shocking, but yep. I would say if you're a Florida fan, um, this is a this is a wild one. So we almost saw Vandy in the SEC's longest losing streak in conference play this weekend. Not almost, but at, half, at halftime it was close. We flirted with it a little bit. <laughs> the second longest was the Florida Gators. Great point. The last time they had won an SEC game was October 8th of 2021. Almost a full, a full year. year to the day. Yeah. Um, And Mizzou's last win in conference play was Florida at the end of the last year. So point being, if you're a Florida fan, hey, a win is a win. That's what this means. Because we've seen all these games so far be up and down. We've seen Florida beat them at the end. And sometimes it's just good to win. And I think that that's huge in this first year. I think that, you know, Mizzou, we've seen Mizzou win this game. So if you're Billy Napier, boom, you got a dub. You got your first SEC win as a head coach. You didn't get trapped by this game like Mullen and, you know, Mac and all those guys we've been talking about did. So, hey, that's a that's a passing grade this week. Good job. Yeah, it's a tough look for both coaches in an ugly game when both of these coaches are their offensive play callers mm-hmm. and they're and they're doing they're juggling those duties. And and so it's kind of extra a little bit when and that's the same thing we talk about with Jimbo of why you need somebody that you can at least get shift the blame to, right? <laughs> I was about to say someone you can yell at at least. Yeah. Not the, not the, just the- not just a selfie. You can't do this. Yeah. What's the how I met your mother? The the chain of screaming. Yes, the chain of scre- exactly the cycle of pyramid of screaming. That's what yeah. you need. You, you always need. gotta have. That's what Saban has. That's why he has all these little assistants, the analysts. He just wants to yell at intern Bush, Bush, and then get back to his job. You know. Yeah. I know that joke doesn't hit anymore, but you get it. Yeah, it's, it's a little dated, but then again, we're talking about some pretty dated offenses here. We're talking about Jimbo, so I think it plays. Yeah. Let's end with Ole Miss and Bandy. Um, I know I'm supposed to have a lot of questions from this, like. And if you followed this game, not if you looked at the final score, but if you were following this game and watching it like the sicko that I am, um, like I'm supposed to ask why was a top 10 team trailing by double digits against a team who hasn't won a conference game in the decade? Why did Jonathan Mingo become unguardable suddenly after a pretty quiet start to the season? How was he able to set the Ole Miss single game receiving record, which was previously set by Elijah Moore, also at Vandy? Or better yet, why did Clark Lee mess around with a two quarterback system once he got a lead against the top 10 team? But all I keep coming back to, the biggest question that I have, I don't have an answer to this. 
Since when does Ole Miss have a fire extinguisher? <laughs> You're asking the good questions here, Connor. Maybe they get to bust that out if they score 23 consecutive points. I don't know. But they did it, and they busted it out. I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm not really the biggest fan of most props. Fire extinguisher? All right. I can work with that. My only question is, after the fire extinguisher is used, do they need another replacement on the sidelines to make sure that they're up to code? How does that work? Got to at least have one. Yeah. Fire Marshal got eyes locked into the this office. Like, like guys, let's let's make sure that we're prepared. All right, we we can't have anything. We can't be caught off guard in these in these spots. Can't have you using very essential things for these props. Mm-hmm. This got out of hand in a hurry in the second half after it looked like it was going to be a dogfight for Ole Miss. And mm-hmm. the good news for Vandy, a lot of spin zones today that we're doing here. Um, I think I think a lot of fan bases need it. They need some good news. AJ Swan, AJ McGowan, they look fun. True freshman duo. Best, the SEC's best true freshman quarterback wide receiver duo resides in Nashville. Good for them. I mean, mm-hmm. not a whole lot of true freshman receivers that are making big time plays, not really any other true freshman quarterbacks that are making big time plays. So take it for what it is. So that's good. The bad news. Vandy's defense, uh, once again, it blew chunks for the majority of that game. And outside of a couple decisions that Jackson Dart made in that game, which Lane called horrible, mm-hmm. Ole Miss pretty much got what it wanted after the slow start in the first quarter. Also, and this was great. If you were watching this game at the end, if you didn't tune this out, you're out of your mind if you don't think that Lane wanted to cover the spread. <laughs> this was great. Yes. This was awesome. And we're, not, we're probably not going to get any sort of clarity on this, but Ole Miss is up 17 late, and it's a 17.5-point spread. If you bet on this game and that's the line that you got, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. This is probably going to be on bad beats, by the way, with Stanford Steve and Scott Van Pelt. Mm-hmm. So Ole Miss up 17 in this spot, goes for it mm-hmm. on fourth and two, and they pick it up. And they're still throwing in the red zone with under two minutes left. And they pick up the first down to get to the Vandy one, right? You just kneel it. You just kneel it. Nothing, nothing's going to change. And instead, they run tempo. <laughs> they hurry up to the line of scrimmage, and they run tempo to get that touchdown with a minute left. And if you don't think that Lane didn't have that spread in mind, I won't believe that. And I get it. Lane also likes 50 burgers. This is a nice round number, but still. Um, mm-hmm. that, was, that was just... <laughs> I just laughed watching that because the entire time I'm like, oh, Lane's, they're scoring a touchdown here. And I picked, because I picked Vandy to cover the spread in this one. I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Lane is going to find a way to make sure that he covers and he wants everybody to make sure that he didn't leave any stone unturned because that's who Lane is. And he had like an awkward little interaction with Clark Lee afterwards. He tried to tell Clark Lee apparently that he was, that 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 the play clock was going to run down. And that's why they had to call play. Mm-mm. Nope. Lane's Lane. Sorry. See, Lane's a great example of why I love like younger head coaches because this is going to be like a, a locked up memory. But coming out of uh, LSU, Florida in 2019, uh, everyone's talking about how great it was, like how close it was a really close game. I remember texting uh, you guys and being like, well, hey, we covered 13 and a half. So was it really a close game? That is the most 
That is the most like millennial coach move ever because he knows that the committee is not watching a second of this game. He he knows that at the end, the takeaway from this game is going to be not a game where Ole Miss or where Vandy was in this game at halftime and was like fighting and fighting and fighting and Ole Miss looked horrible. It's going to be a game that the end result is going to be, oh yeah, they covered against Vandy. Just another blowout win, 52 points. That is honestly genius by Lake Kiffin. Good teams win, great teams cover. Exactly. <laughs> when you have to deal with those people who have deep pockets, the people that are you know, going to be paying your, your buyout and all those different things, um, and you have to deal with them and you have to get those comments during the week, and you're like, hey, man, be really nice. It'd be really nice. Just, you know, do me a solid. Mm-hmm. Having those people in your corner and making them happy and having them acknowledge that you see things <laughs> through their eyes, right? And and like I do think that matters. I, I absolutely do. And there are cer- obviously certain games that just get out with a win. You know, I'm I'm not sitting there pretending like Florida up seven in that spot is doing whatever it can to be able to try and cover, you know, minus 10 and they should still be throwing the ball over the place because Lord knows they could throw a pick six and that could totally change the entire complexion of the game. But Mm -hmm. in a spot like that, come on, they know, they always know lane, Mm -hmm. especially lane has tweeted about that in the past, but instead of old, I, I, I texted you earlier in this game, I said a lot of nice things about the Ole Miss defense, and then here they are just getting taken to the woodshed by Vandy. And all of a sudden, they have a 5'8 true freshman receiver who just springs to the outside on a little screen, and they can't tackle him for 40 yards. Like, what is going on with Ole Miss and this defense that I have been talking about? But mm-hmm. Ole Miss comes out with a win. More importantly, Ole Miss comes out with a cover. I will say that where this game swung to was on defense. And it was like one of those weird, like, is it a fumble? Is it an incompletion? But Ole Miss recovered a fumble and scored shortly thereafter. Um, Bad presence by by A.J. Swan, by the way. And that little pass that he thought was a forward pass and, like, clearly wasn't. I don't know what what, what they were looking at, but he Mm -hmm. I think it was Ray Davis as well. And Ole Miss just scoops it up. And it's like, oh, yeah, this was an 11-point game. And now this is why Ole Miss is going to win. And this is why Vandy hasn't won a game against an SEC team in the 2020s. But yes, it was an immediate fire extinguisher, and then I just sent you a picture of Chris Partridge's belly, and that's when the game was over. I was over. Yep. <laughs> it was just like, well, defense has figured it out. It's over with, boys. They not. This is gonna be because the offense is gonna figure it out eventually. You know what I'm saying? That's all she wrote. That is all she wrote. Uh, we've got a good slate next week. I hope we get these SEC quarterbacks back and healthy. Yeah, man. Well, I want to see these guys. You know, thankful that you know, knock on wood, not dealing with season-ending injuries. It looked like there were some really questionable decisions. Like Will Levis told Jordan Rogers before the game that he's playing next week. Stoops was a little bit more coy about that. We'll wait and see how that plays out. We know that Arkansas is going to be coy with KJ Jefferson. We know that Alabama is going to be coy with Bryce Young, and there are probably other injuries that we haven't discussed today that are going to be brought up in some way, shape, or form because that's the way this works. But I do hope that we get some great, great quarterback performances, some great games overall next week. I don't know that I want to do halfway stuff. I don't, I don't think I want to quite dig into that. I'm going to do it from the numbers perspective, and I'm going to look at this guy is on pace for this type right. of season. I love doing that. That's that's one of my favorite things to do after six games, but I don't think I can – I'm going to be asked to do midseason content for SDS. I know that, but I don't know that I want to really shed light on the fact that we're almost at – like we're basically at the midway point of the regular season. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't Holy. like that one bit. Conference play is really just starting in earnest. So, you know, point. Zone, it, it could just be the, the first part of the real season. And I will say, dude, there are so many teams this year that with, you know, injured or banged up quarterbacks look radically different. How about Quinn Ewers, our boy? Oh, man. I love <laughs> me like Quinn Ewers. Radically different team with him. That law, that, that, 
narrow Alabama win by the end of the year, I think it's going to look pretty good because the team that lost, like looked horrible at Texas did not have Quinn Ewers. And this weekend they had him and looked dynamic against Oklahoma. Right about Quinn Ewers. Very, 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 very wrong about Oklahoma. I was. Yeah. yeah, that one's tough. And oh, Utah getting its second loss. Yeah, the playoff field, not great. Not great for your boy, but at least lock of the week hit. So we're three and three. Thank you, Ohio State, being able to cover against Michigan State. So back to even. I'm not in full fade territory just yet. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. worst thing is to be 500. I want to help people. I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want people going back and forth with me. I don't know anybody that's taking my lock of the week too, too seriously, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, We'll continue to provide. We're going to have a great midweek pod. I'm so excited about the week seven slate that we have. I think mm-hmm. we're going to have the plan is to have Katie George on as well. Something that I want to have on for a little while. So look forward to that. If you have not, leave us a five-star view. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name red on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.